Welcome to Grab's podcast, where we share firsthand stories of real-world rescues. Our guest today is Josh Perro, who is with the Invergro Heights Fire in Minnesota. Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your department and your experience? Yeah, uh, Invergro Heights is probably about 10 minutes south of St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, we service about 35 to 40,000 people in the city. Uh, we got 32 square miles roughly, and uh, we run about, we're on track for over 2,000 calls this year. Um, we're a combination department. Uh, we have three full-time shift captains. Um, we have a full-time fire chief, assistant chief, fire marshal, full-time uh, fire operations supervisor, uh, basically a training lieutenant and a uh, fire inspector that are all full-time. And then we have about anywhere from 40 to 50 paid on call or volunteer firefighters that run uh, shifts. We actually do, uh, they run like a, we run a duty crew. So, uh, but they're also responsible for callbacks as well. Um, I started, yeah. Go ahead. I started with Evergrove about 10 years ago and then worked my way up uh, and was hired on as one of the full-time shift captains uh, ex about exactly a year ago. So, All right. so that's yeah, a little bit about that. Uh, so Josh, what's the first alarm residential assignment consist of in your department? Um, it's going to be the uh, staffed duty crew truck, which varies throughout the day, depending on uh, if we've got recruits or not uh, with us. And then it'll be an all call for the city. So that'll bring back our callback. Uh, or, or paid on call people who are assigned to one of the three stations in our city and they will uh, come back for that. And then depending on where the fire is at, we have auto aid with surrounding cities as well. So coming out of your department, do you guys have a, like when you say truck, is that a truck or is that like a ladder truck or is that an engine? What do you, I mean, what do you have responding? So we have uh, two ladder trucks in the city. We typically run, it's going to be a 300 gallon mini pumper is what we use for our duty crew truck at the moment, but it varies throughout the day, depending if we have recruits or not, because it's only a three seater. Uh, so we'll grab an, one of our engines or maybe run one of the ladders for the day, depending on that. Okay. Uh, what's the search culture within your department look like? Like who searches? When does it get assigned? So uh, with the way that we operate, um, being that we only staff one station and typically the first truck on scene is going to do, if it's an offensive fire, we'll be, we'll be going in that offensive mode. And then we will be doing our primary search as we uh, go out throughout the structure. Um, we obviously follow your two in and two out rule. Uh, but if being the fact that we're only running with three for our duty crew, um, if it's a confirmed entrapment, uh, we break that rule per our protocols on our department. We will go in and, and search for victims if it's a confirmed trapment, if we do not have a chief officer on scene or another truck as well with us. So. All right. So when you say confirmed, can that, can that be a positive reports from anybody? Yes. Uh, it's, it's, it is great. Obviously um, we roll up and it's the middle of the night and I've got cars in the driveway and things like that. I, uh, that's where it's kind of a discretionary call on the officer. And obviously if I, if you roll up and you've got people yelling at you that there's people in there, 
um, you've got more of a validation of that. Okay. Um, and then what's your typical residential search look like? Do you guys VS? Do you guys split search? Do you do oriented search, rope search? So we, um, we operate in like a nozzle forward type manner. That's how we train on our fire attack and hose movements. Um, as far as that goes, as we're entering the structure, we will uh, split off and do searches depending on the, obviously the visibility of the structure and what we've got going as far as the fire load goes. Um, we also do have in our protocols to do a can search. Um, so basically we would obviously just grab our water can and go in and search. Um, it, it really just depends on what, what we're dealing with as far as the fire load goes. Um, but for the most part, you've got your nozzle in and then I, as the officer would be splitting off and doing searches because on the first, as a first due truck, it's just going to be me, uh, and my nozzle man and the engineer will be pumping. Yep. All right, Josh, why don't you just take us back to that day? Uh, tell us your story. Yeah. So it was, uh, February 24th of 2018 at, uh, uh, 2024 hours. Um, we got called for smoke in a building, so that did not initiate our all call or our structure fire. It was just a smoke in the building call. Um, on the way, it was maybe not even about a mile away from, from the station. And it was, uh, at the time I was a lieutenant and I had a uh, engineer and a crew member with me. So it was just three of us. It was on a weekend. So we usually run a duty officer, uh, but that duty officer was coming. He lived in another city. So he was coming for, he was about 15 minutes away. Uh, so as we pulled up to the structure, this was going to be in a, a mobile home or a, a manufactured structure, a mobile home park. Um, we showed up and we were getting reports uh, on the way that there was possible victims. Um, but it was still coming in as smoke in a, smoke in a building. Uh, just as we were pulling up, police had gotten there before we did and, and confirmed it was a working structure fire. At that time, I called, uh, I, update, I upgraded to a structure fire, which now gives us our all-call response. And because of where it's at, it was kind of in the middle of our city, so we don't actually have any auto aid for that area. Um, so that just basically called out the three stations in the city. Um, and when we, so we showed up, uh, we do not, if I've got a, Typically, the first truck in is going to hit a hydrant, so we didn't hit a hydrant. Um, and as I showed up, it was like light, hazy smoke coming out of the trailer. Uh, fire had not started to, to come out of the structure at all yet, but it, you could tell that it was a working structure fire. Um, gave my scene size up, um, got out of the truck, uh, told my crew member that we were going in. I had PD and uh, neighbors there all telling me there was people in there. Uh, that was validation enough for me to make the call without having a, a the duty officer on scene or another truck on scene uh, that we were going to need to go in and, and try to rescue a couple people if they were in there. It sounded like there was two. Um, so we uh, inch and three quarter with a smoothbore tip nozzle, 150 foot section, uh, put that to the front door. And soon as we breached, I had my... Uh, Obviously, we had our tools with us to get into the front door, had my tick with me. And as soon as we breached the front door, there was heavy smoke that started to pour out of the front door, zero visibility in high heat conditions at that point, because now that we opened the door, we had fed the fire. Um, 
I used, I, I kind of just got inside the door quick and grabbed my tick and did a quick scan. Uh, being that it was a res, uh, manufactured home like that, I was, I mean, there's not very, there's not much square footage to those. So I was just going to do a quick scan to see if I could see anybody right inside that front door. And as I panned my tick to the, as I panned it around, I could see two people that were directly in line with each other, which was kind of the weird part. Uh, one was laying about 10 feet in front of the front door and the other one was about another 10 to 15 feet behind uh, that, that person. So I did at that point have two victims in there. They were uh, unresponsive at that time. And then I also could tell, and now I had a, I had a fully involved uh, kitchen fire. Um, like I had said, uh, being the way that we do business, um, I just kind of pepper the fire quick just to, to get some of that heat out of there because it was starting to get hot. And then um, instructed my crew member to, to grab victim number one and pull, pull her out. And then um, I went for the other victim that was uh, about 15 feet further in than she was. About that time, I knew I had the ladder truck in route because I'm listening to radio traffic at that time. And about the time that my crew member had got her out, um, our ladder truck had showed up and I was able to get the uh, victim. I was able to get my victim to the front door at that time. And the fire uh, was starting to, to kick up again. So I got him to the front door, handed him off to our ladder crew and then proceeded to put the rest of the fire out and continue the remainder of our primary search, which came up negative. So yeah, that was about it. Um, both uh, the the victim that I pulled out was transported to the hospital. Uh, they did work work that person, but he uh, was was pronounced at the hospital. So both very viable patients. Um, just got there a little bit too late, I'm guessing, in the smoke inhalation. So yeah. All right. Uh, was the front door locked, or did you guys have to force it? Had to force that. Yeah. All right. Uh, how did you guys force it? Uh, just with a halligan. Okay. Pretty weak, pretty weak door. We just kind of forced it, and then I grabbed it to pull it back until my crew member was ready, and then we went in. All right. Uh, when you when you located the victims with your tick, what yeah. color what color were the victims in your screen? Yeah, it was weird because um, they were they showed up white on our on my tick, okay. and uh, it's it's one of the the newer Scott ticks that we had. And so they how both how easily recognizable were they? Were they or were they not with the tick? They were actually pretty recognizable because um, at that time the fire wasn't really around the fire. They were not in the direct path of the fire as far as the lens on the tick goes. Mm -hmm. So I was able to pick them out pretty, pretty good because there was zero visibility. I mean, I couldn't see um, my hand right in front of my face, but I was able to pick them out with that. I truly, I don't know if I would have been able to find them that easy without the, the thermal emission camera. Yeah, and they, and you're saying they're just lay, I mean, obviously they're laying out in the open if you can see them. They weren't underneath any, um, yeah, any blankets or anything. No, the, they were both kind of out in the open, and there wasn't too much around them, uh, mimicking any other thing that would make out like a body. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what size were the victims? The female was pretty. She was pretty small, maybe hundred and. 20, 130 pounds, but the male, the second, the, the guy that he was probably 220 and I don't know, five, nine, I would say. And they were both pretty young. So. What type of drag did you guys use to pull them out? So I learned really quick in that 
uh, scenario because in my 10 years, that's the first time I've had to pull anybody out of a fire um, that just the old pick them up like you do in your CPAT test doesn't work very well. And uh, so um, what I did is actually, um, if the thought had crossed my mind, to use my webbing, but he didn't have a shirt on. And I was afraid if he was if he was viable and that we could get him back, how much damage I would do to his skin with the webbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his skin's fluffing off. I don't know why I thought of that, but I did. And I, so what I did is I actually pushed him forward and grabbed his feet and drug him out that way. Okay. Uh, just because I'm, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a pretty small person. I'm like five, four, 180 pounds myself. So. Okay. So at first you tried it. Um, was he oriented uh, with his head towards the door or the feet towards the door in the beginning? He was sitting up with his back. He was actually sitting up with oh, his back okay. facing. Yeah, facing the door. So I tried to pick him up that way, and his arms just slipped right out of my, right out of my arms when I tried to do that with his dead weight. Good, good to know. And then you, so you diverted and you went to Plan B with grabbing his feet. Now, did you yeah. grab his feet? Did you grab his uh, knee pits? How did you do that? So I grabbed his feet, put him underneath my armpits, and was able to lock his feet in with my armpits and then drag him out that way. Did you put one feet, one foot in each armpit, or did you put both yes. feet in one armpit? Yep, one in each armpit. Okay. Kind of like a reverse wheelbarrow, if you will, and just started. Jacking him out. Yeah, so you, so you stood well. up and then picked yep. part of him up to get some of that uh, friction off. Good. What, what yep. kind of uh, car- – was it carpeting? Was it linoleum? What kind of flooring was it? Carpet. Yeah, right. there was carpet in there. All right, and, and compared to dragging a 80-pound dummy in the – you know, in a training tower, how much – how much harder was it actually with the friction? I felt like this was uh, much harder because I don't, when you, you know, when people realize like dead weight is dead weight and then they're also not rigid. So you don't have, you, you don't have grip of things that you might have grip with, with one of those dummies. So, um, and as far as the friction goes, I guess I didn't really, I didn't really think about that too much. <laughs> it was more yep. of trying to get a grip on him and get him up. Yeah. Absolutely. So what did you learn from this rescue? Um, Tick is a good friend. Um, I mean, they were, they were viable. I mean, just thinking of your environment that you're going into and and deciding if you've got a viable patient or not viable patient, uh, depending on what kind of fire load you have. And then, uh, with a rescue like that, I mean, I feel like there was a little bit of a delay in our second truck getting on scene just due to the fact that it was not called in that way. Um, and I didn't upgrade it till I could tell that the, it was, because, you know, you get a lot of smoke and nobody calls it or not. Maybe I would have upgraded it a little bit sooner um, just to get that extra truck on the road. And then as far as dragging the victims out, you know, I think that um, if one thing doesn't work, have other tools in your toolbox or other things that you've learned throughout training. So just continue to train. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, all right, Josh, well, uh, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. If you're yeah. on the scene of a structure fire with a rescue or assist with a dead or a live civilian, help us capture our wins and specific details and improve our rescue and search across the nation and fill out one survey per victim on www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. You can also join the Facebook book group, Firefighter Rescue Survey, where hundreds of rescues are being recorded monthly. 
If you'd like to share your story on Grab's podcast, contact Grant Schwalbe at Residential Primary Search or myself, Justin McWilliams, on, or at Search Culture on the Book of the Faces. You can also give me a call or a text at 503-729-2734.